Well, folks, Geodebsha, Shaw Jerry Adams Arish, and I'm going to deal with some history this uh, week in this podcast. So, to Sulagumsa, Gubal Shibsha, Gumai, East. Last week, an imposing bronze statue, more than three metres in height, of executed 1916 leader Roger Casement was lifted into position atop a tall plinth at the new jetty in Dunleary outside Dublin. The statue is part of a new works project to refurbish Dunleary public baths. When it is completed, a new jetty will have a studio space for artists, a cafe and a gallery. Roger Casement was born in nearby Sandy Cove in 1864. His activism as a humanitarian is legendary. He exposed the horror and brutality of the Belgian king, Leopold II, in his exploitation of the territory now known as the Democratic Republic of Congo. In his greed, Leopold murdered more than 10 million people, and millions more, including children, were maimed. Their hands and feet were cut off as they failed to obey the orders of his overseers. Leopold tried to keep others out of the region, but the stories of torture and slavery and abuse gradually emerged. However, it was the work of Roger Casement which convincingly exposed Leopold's reign of terror and brought it to an end. He was later knighted for this work and his work in Latin America. Casement was raised in and around Ballymena in County Antrim. He was a member of an Ulster Protestant family and a British diplomat. He was also a Gaelgore who loved the glens of Antrim. It's very fitting that Antrim's county ground, soon to be rebuilt, bears his name. He was proud to be Irish. And in more recent times, gay rights groups and others have embraced Casement. In 1913, Casement helped found the Irish Volunteers. He travelled to the USA to raise money for that organisation and was involved in the smuggling of weapons into Hoth in July 1914. He also negotiated with the German government during the First World War for more guns and assistance for the planned rebellion. However, it was his record of work as a diplomat, a senior public servant for the British Empire, which almost certainly sealed his fate in August 1916. The British saw him, the British establishment that is, as a traitor. Roger Casement was hanged in August the 3rd, 1916. He was the last 1916 leader to be executed. Although his remains were eventually returned to Ireland in 1965 to be buried in Glasnevin Cemetery, his own wish was to be buried at Morlock Bay in the northeast coast of Antrim. In his last words from the dock, Casement said, This is the condemnation of English rule, of English-made law, of English government in Ireland, that it dare not rest on the will of the Irish people, but exists in defiance of their will, that it is a rule derived not from right, but from conquest. I am proud to be a rebel, and I shall cling to my rebellion with the last drop of my blood.
So Shin and Lake Kroger, Roger Casement. I'm also looking for a wee bit of help with a, a query I got from a correspondent who wrote to me looking for information on his great uncle, a de la Salle brother, Brother Benignus, who taught in St Finian's Primary School on the Falls Road. I mentioned him briefly in Falls Memories, one of my books. Brother Benignus was a regular feature at the herding practices in the Falls Park in my youth, long into his retirement. And I also recall him a tall, angular figure walking along the falls and glen roads of an evening. But he never taught me, so I am appealing to any older St Finian's boys who may have been taught by Bedignus or who were in his herding teams to get in touch with the Town News who will pass it on to me. Now I know this is a very long shot. Brother Bedignus was born in 1889 in County Leash. He died in October 1971 in Belfast. But somebody is bound to have some recollection. Joe Kelly, who I have lost contact with and who taught in St Finian's, or some of the older Neve Gall lads or someone from the LaSalle order may have some skill. If you have, pass it on to the Andy Town News and they'll pass it on and I'll pass it on to the person who made the query in the first instance. So... Next week marks the end of the 1981 hunger strike 40 years ago. And much has been written this year and many events have taken place to remember those who died. For me, 10 Men Dead by David Burrisford and Nermitli Serve My Time by Brian Campbell and Lawrence McCune remain two of the outstanding books of that period. Jim McCann's recent publication, 6,000 Days, is a very welcome and amazing recent addition to these publications. It's a must-read book. And so too with another new book, The Comrades, just published by an Ashog as part of the work of the 81-82 committee. This collection of reflections provides a rare insight into the 13 Republican prisoners who died in hunger strike during the most recent phase of the long struggle for Irish freedom. Padraig Wilson's fair play to him was the dynamo behind this fine piece of work and Danny Morrison did a great job editing it. 1981 was a watershed year in our history. The heroic resistance of the women in the blocks, women in the Armagh jail and the men on the blanket in the blocks and the support of families and communities across this island and internationally who all rallied in support of the hunger strikers. The Comrades deals less with the politics and more with the humanity of the hunger strikers. It's a powerful piece of work. It is a selection of accounts of each of the hunger strikers by those who knew them. The writers are all prisoners who lived through these difficult years. The emotion and memories that the Comrades evokes was evident last week at two events to launch the book. One in the Anderson Town Social Club and one that I attended and spoke at in T. Cullen, South Armagh. Lorne McKeown, who spent 70 days on hunger strike, writes about Mickey Devine. Paddy Quinn, who was 47 days on the strike, writes about Raymond McCraish.
Both were in Teague Cullen. And because we were in South Armagh, I thought it appropriate to focus my remarks on Paddy and on his comrade Raymond McCraish, with whom he was captured in 1976. I met Paddy in the blocks in August 1981 when Owen Caron, Seamus Ruddy and I went to the prison hospital to speak to the hunger strikers and tell them if they chose to end the strike that we would support their decision. Paddy started the hunger strike on June 15th and he was the 11th hunger striker. During the meeting, which included Larney, Paddy, who was sitting in a wheelchair, told us that his sight had gone. I went and spoke to him privately. Paddy said to me, Now, Bach, Lan or I, don't bother, don't worry, keep going. In an interview later, he recalled, I wouldn't give up. Margaret Thatcher wasn't going to criminalise me. Paddy explained how painful the hunger strike was. I could feel this terrible pain. A medical orderly was helping me to breathe, but I was hallucinating. I could hear the noise in my throat, gasping for breath. I was watching the deterioration of my body, thinking, I have to do this. I'm going to keep going. It was just pain day after day. Then one day I went for a shower. I collapsed, and then there was a sickness. That was maybe after 43 days in and out of consciousness at that stage. I had reached the point that I was looking forward to death. I felt a real sense of contentment. I would accepted that I was going to die and I was happy with my decision. If the British had succeeded in criminalising us, we would never have got over it, said Paddy. If Sinn Féin had remained hard line and military, then I think the sacrifices made on the hunger strike would have been a complete waste. It was Sinn Féin going into politics that made it worthwhile. Paddy subsequently had to have a kidney transplant. His eyesight was damaged by the hunger strike. When asked if he had any regrets, he said, I remember someone saying to me, you lost 10 years. I said, in those 10 years, I probably had more experience than you'll ever have. In his account about Raymond McRae's, Paddy remembers his friend, and his decision to go on hunger strike. From the start of his protest, Remy had not taken a visit with his family or anyone else because he wouldn't put on the monkey suit. I often think of how hard it must have been for Remy and his mother on their first visit in four years when the news he had to convey to her that he was that he was going to hunger strike. I was in the wash room in the shower when one of my comrades came in one day. He told me the news had just come through that Remy had died a short time earlier. I was glad I was standing in the shower. It meant that neither the screws nor anyone else could see the tears that I shed for my comrade and friend, Raymond McCrish. The comrades is an evocative, inspiring, emotionally moving account of the lives of 12 amazing men with an introduction by Sheila Dara, former OC of the women prisoners in Armagh Women's Jail. Lawrence McKeown, a very fine writer and a poet, in his essay on the book about Mickey Devine, sums up the spirit of selflessness and courage that was and is the story of the 81 hunger strike. Regardless of our individual pasts, family histories and the various routes we took that eventually led us to the hits blocks, we became a family in prison. 
a family of blanket men. We didn't identify those in hunger strike as being either IRA volunteers or INLA volunteers. It didn't matter who they were, what organization they belonged to, what part of the country they were from, what they were charged with or how long they were serving. They were blanket men. They were friends. They were brothers. They were Bobby, Frank, Patsy, Raymond, Joe, Martin, Kevin, Kieran, Tom and Mickey. In his final tribute to Mickey Devine, Lorne's poem read, Mick is an appropriate conclusion to the humanity and compassion and love which was as much a part of the prison protests as politics. And I finish on this. This is Lawrence. For I believe that in the hits blocks you found something to love and live for. A place to give what was yours to offer and not to be judged by societal norms, exalting the few and damning the multitude. And you loved and lived that so much that you loved and lived it to death. My who, Lawrence. So Shinne, Shin Mamej, we'll go out now with the flying column and in honour of Roger Casement and in memory of our friend Anto Finnegan, who died this week, we'll go out with the lonely Banna Strand. Twas on Good Friday morning, all in the month of May, a German ship was signaling me on that in the bay with twenty thousand rifles all ready for to land but no answering signal did come from that lonely banastrand no signal answers from the shore Sir Roger sadly said no comrades here to meet me Alas, they must be dead But I must do my duty And so I mean to land So in a small boat towards the shore on the lonely Bannerstrand Now the R.I.C. were hunting for Sir Roger high and low They found a Matt McKenna's fort 
And they said, you are our foe Said he, I'm Roger Casement And I come from my native land And I mean to free my countrymen On the lonely Banastrand Now they took Sir Roger prisoner And they sailed for London town And in the tower they laid him A traitor to the crown Said he, I am no traitor But his trial he had to stand Just for bringing German rifles To that lonely Banastrand It was in an English prison dark That they led him to his death I'm dying for my country He said with his last breath But they buried him in pretty soil As so far from his native land And the wild waves rolled his requiem On that lonely Banastrand Now they took Sir Roger home again In the year of 65 And with his comrades of 16 He and peace and tranquil life his last one wish it is fulfilled For to lie in his native land And the wild waves roll in peace again On the lonely Banastrand